Fellowship. It's uh, another Thursday night study. But thankfully, where we're at this week, uh, we started last Sunday with uh, Palm Sunday and the Holy Week and um, kind of jumped off from there. It just so happens as the way our weeks fall and uh, we do our study, midweek study on Thursday nights that um, tonight will be the, the picture of the Last Supper. So we'll get to build kind of off of where we started uh, in that short study on Sunday continue to build this full picture of what the Holy Week looks like all the way up until Easter Sunday. We'll do a specific service tying it all together, um, teaching kind of that full picture. Tonight, we'll be starting in John's Gospel, um, chapter 13, and we'll begin to build the picture there of this Last Supper event. A lot of stuff going on, but as we navigate the study tonight, the, the, the picture or the idea we're going to take a look at is the servant of all, uh, and then it, particularly how that relates to our life, because Jesus ultimately being that picture of the best servant, um, the one who would lay down his life, and we'll see that Sunday. Um, but as he institutes his Last Supper, as you see where we jump off of in John's Gospel, uh, just so much going on in this picture and this this idea of kind of last words and last sermons and things that the Lord is just trying to, to convey to his disciples at this point, uh, Judas also included in the mix. And so uh, we'll kind of build that picture as we go through here tonight. Let me pray first, um, and then we'll jump off. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Uh, we thank you that, Lord, even as we look at tonight, Lord, Having loved your own, you love them to the end. It wasn't like you uh, you pick us and when we're doing good, uh, you come alongside of us. And when we're doing bad, uh, you cast us by the wayside, Lord. But your love is eternal and in one direction uh, and without stipulation, God. You love us because you love us. And uh, definitely in days like these, Lord, I'm sure for most of us, uh, even when things get better, God, the fact that you love us in spite of ourselves, not because of our performance or anything else, Lord, but because you've pronounced us um, as royalty, God. You've named us as sons and daughters. Um, so we lift this night up to you, Lord. We pray, God, Holy Spirit, that you'd move, uh, Lord, through some people's cell phones, through people's TVs, God, uh, through this video, Lord. Uh, none of it is uh, stuck or bound or outside of your limitations, God. You are above and beyond it all, Lord, yet it's all held together by you. So, Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, move in power tonight. We pray in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. And so, before we jump off into John's Gospel, just want to set the scene real quick. Um, And I'll do that out of Luke 22, and then we'll kind of jump back there. Because this last night, there's this big dinner... There's the original Passover meal, um, the the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, I believe. Um, And then Jesus then, once they finish that meal, uh, I'm sorry, once they finish that meal, then Jesus then instituting what is called in the Last Supper, committing another what is a a Feast of Remembrance is the idea. Um, But some people get confused, thinking, "Well, well, was it two meals? Was it one meal? Yes is the answer. It was uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and as they were completing the meal, then Jesus would institute this Last Supper, is what we call it, or the New Covenant. Um, 
in which we call communion nowadays. And so I'll read to you kind of this picture here, uh, starting in Luke chapter 22, verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And so they said to him, Well, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There you can make ready. So they went and they found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. So the disciples go ahead of him. They go into the city. They meet this man, just like Jesus said, carrying the pitcher of water. He has this large upper room for them to share this Passover meal together. And so the guys go on their way. And so as you get then, that's kind of the, the preface, the, the picture being set in order there. They're preparing the meal. They've got the meal. The disciples come there. They're all gathered together there. And so then you have this picture in John chapter 13, which then is the continuation of they finally get to the upper room. They're in that place. And it says, now before the feast of the Passover. So they didn't really start eating the meal yet. They're sitting there. It's prepared. It's on the table. You, you have all of the scene going on. All the apostles are there. Again, Judas included. And it says now in John 13, starting in verse 1, Now when the feast of the Passover, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. So you have the scene starting off. They're there before the feast of the Passover. They go through the meal. The supper, formal supper, has ended at this point. The, the last supper hasn't been instituted. Communion, the cup and the bread hasn't been instituted yet. But again, you have all the apostles there sitting there, and Jesus is going to then take this, this opportunity, these last words, right? How important are last words to a lot of us if you have loved ones that have lied in hospice and we're getting ready to depart from this world. How important it is to try to communicate what is, what is deepest and most passionate. And, and it says there that Jesus, knowing that, that his hour had come, that all things were committed to his hand, that the Father had given him all authority, and at this point, what he decides to do, he doesn't say, okay, I'm done. I don't feel like going through with any of this. He takes this ultimate picture of a slave, of a servant of man, and he uses it as an opportunity to show his, his followers, his disciples, the apostles, what their life is going to look like as they walk with him after this event. And it's going to look dramatically different. We won't get into it tonight, but he'll tell Peter in, in, in John 14, he says, you know, he tells Peter at the end of 13 that you're going to deny me and all these things. But he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Right. And he says, I'm going away to prepare this place for you. And I'm coming back again to receive you to myself. 
so that where I am, you may be too. So he's kind of giving them this picture, this hope. He's telling them, you're, you, you believe in God, believe also in me. He's telling them that the picture of how we walk together in the future is going to look different than what it looks like right now. But here at the supper, he's got all of their attention. He's been telling them all about what's going to happen as he heads to Jerusalem. The, 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 you know, the Jewish leaders are going to take him, all those kind of things. He's been trying to communicate to them. They're full of sorrow in their heart. Leading up to this situation, they're arguing with each other about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Then the rest of the apostles get mad at the other two who are trying to figure out who's going to sit on the left hand and the right. So it's kind of all this stuff going on. And in the midst, as the meal ends... Jesus takes this one opportunity that he has with them. It'll be the last, most solemn time that he has outside of leaving here and going to Gethsemane, where he'll then ultimately be betrayed by Judas, to speak to them, to have some time in a room quietly, to communicate some deep truths to them that may seem silly and foolish, but it will totally characterize their life as they go forward. And so Jesus, knowing all of these things, the time had come, in a few short hours he would be betrayed, in a few hours after that he would be crucified for the sin of the world. He knew all of these things were getting ready to take place. And yet, at this table with these men, and it's, it's interesting to look at, and I, and I address Judas because what we're going to see here is Jesus gets down and takes the form of a slave, the lowest position in the house, a servant, and he even washes his betrayer's feet which is remarkable. He tells Peter later on at the end of this chapter, you're going to deny me. He washes his feet also. All the other disciples would scatter and leave him alone. John would follow at a distance. He would try to get there with him, but he alone would be left and nobody with him. And yet, he, he takes the opportunity to show them, no, I want you to see what the heart of, of heaven is. I want you to see what the heart of the Father is. I want you to know what the kingdom of God really looks like. And so there in John 13, starting in verse 5, it says, After that, Jesus, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Peter's saying, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing yours. Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head too. Give me a whole bath then. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, because I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. 
If you know these things, notice, blessed are you if you do them. So Passover's over. They're all talking. Jesus gets down. He ungirds himself. He gets a basin. He puts water in it. And he begins to wash these disciples' feet. And again, the picture of the foot washing as we go through here is, is like the daily. If you were already bathed during the day and you traveled throughout your journey, the place that would get dirty on you again is your feet. And so the idea of, of the progressiveness of our journey in this world and the fact that the nature of sin is still lives in us. A traitor is still alive and well. And there are times that, that our feet need to be washed by God, but we're already clean because of what his blood has accomplished for us. And the empty tomb in regards to the Father's payment of sin as a whole. But Jesus is using this picture here not to specifically just teach them about the fact that they're going to contract difficulty and sin and failure along their journey. And that they can come to him for daily washing. That's a whole other study. The daily cleansing, the daily forgiveness. But it's the way in which he conveys this. Him being the master. He says that to him. You call me you call me teacher and master, and you say well. He's saying, you're right. I am that. Because I am, he says. And he says, if you take this picture of what I'm doing, this is what new service is going to look like. And what's interesting there is you have Peter in the midst saying, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. You know, the inference is, I should be washing your feet. Jesus first says to Peter, look, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. You're not going to know now. You don't understand. And Peter then says to him, even after Jesus says, you won't understand. Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And then the Lord says, well, then you have no part with me. And so Peter being Peter says, then wash my whole body. Right? And so you have this, this incredible picture of the king of glory stooped down to what the lowest slave's position in a house in that day would be. And that would be to wash the guest's feet. And he's the master and he's the teacher. And yet he's taken this position of a slave and of a servant. And at this point in his ministry, which is at the end in regards to the public ministry, this is not a new idea that he's conveyed. He would say the foxes have their dens and the sparrows have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. His, his life constantly here on the earth was this, this life of service and being a servant and executing the Father's will in the world so that people could see who God was. Not just religious behavior or religious system, but truly what the heart of God was. John 1 says that. That Jesus has displayed him, has exegeted him, has, has taken the invisible God and made him visible to all of mankind. And he uses these last word situation here in John 13 to show them this final picture of what service should look like. He says, because I've given to you in verse 15 an example that you should do as I have done for you. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you should teach the theology and the intellectual properties of what I just showed you. He doesn't say you should teach the Greek and the Hebrew and the grammatical structures of what this idea is. He says, because, he says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. That's what service looks like. How often we, we could look at service as lip, as lip service is the phrase. Yeah, I serve God. I tell people all these things that I know. Well, praise God. He says, no, take this as an example and do it. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, the servant's not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. 
Because he's going to then take the cup, and he's going to take the bread, and he's going to show them this greater picture of service in which one will lay down his life for many, that the sin of many might be paid for through the life of one, the final sacrifice, the ultimate service in behalf of mankind. And so he says there, he says, Assuredly, I say to you that the servant's not greater than his master. He's putting them in charge of what they need to be walking like as they go forward into the future. For you and I as believers, same picture, service, taking the low place. I'll speak for myself. The traitor that lives in me wants the high place, want to be noticed, want everybody to see what God is going to do for me in my life. Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom looks dramatically different. It looks more like being in the low place and being the servant of all. And we'll see that at the end as we close out here. And he says the reason that is is because a servant's not greater than his master. You call me master and Lord, you're right. But check this. If I'm the master, I'm the, then you're not greater than me. You're the servant. He says, nor is he who is sent. These, these apostles sent ones would be commissioned to the world for his namesake. They were sent by him. It says, neither is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And he closes out here in verse 17. He says, if you know these things, notice, blessed are you if you do them. Again, not if you study all the language and the grammar and you go to Bible college about servitude and read 16 catalogs of books on what service is like. You're blessed if you take this position in your life and do it. True service. Not wanting to be rewarded, not looking for an applause, not looking for recognition, not doing it and pretending and playing games and you do all this stuff. No, bowing up under with nothing in sight other than Jesus Christ and serving because he's worthy. And so then as this scene closes, he then institutes this last supper. In Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14, it says, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, notice, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I'll no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So Jesus then, he turns the conversation in this regard to the Last Supper. And he, and he says to them, he says, with with, with great desire of desire, with, with all of my passion, with every feeling inside of me, I couldn't wait to eat this specific, because he'd eaten this meal with them before, this Passover specifically. And it's because he knew he's conveying these, these truths that will carry through the church and the church through many difficulties throughout the ages until now. The fact that, that he poured out his life, his body was broken, his blood was shed for the sins of many, which we'll see. That was what would carry the church forward. This, this picture of finality and sin being conquered and death being handled once and for all that we could spend forever with God in eternity. And he says, with desire, I I've, I've, I've couldn't wait to eat this specific Passover with you guys. And no doubt to convey these truths to them. It says, then he took the cup in verse 17 of Luke 22 and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Matthew's gospel says in Matthew 26, it says there in relationship to the cup in verse 27 of chapter 26, it says, then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So Jesus just gives them this incredible picture about what service is supposed to look like. Again, he washed Judas's feet. He knew Judas was a thief. He knew Judas was manipulating. He knew Judas was already set in his heart to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew the disciples were going to scatter. He knew that none of these people at this point, even though he had called them, at this point were going to be these stalwart, sterling believers who would ultimately then give their life for him. Yet at this point, he stoops down, he washes their feet. He then takes the cup, he takes the bread, and he gives them this ultimate picture of sacrifice, of, of really what it means of him going to be the servant of all. He says, take this bread and break it. This is my body, which is, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he divides it among them. And as he goes with the cup, he tells them, this cup is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. He said it's he says to all of them, take it and drink it for the remission of sins and for the sins of many. And so Jesus here on this last supper that we, we partake of as a feast of remembrance. We say we, we get together and we, you know, whether you have a little wafer cracker or, or Welch's grape juice, whatever it is. But it's a feast of remembrance, remembering what God accomplished for us. And so as he gives this to us as an ordinance in the church, as something to sit down and as whether with our church family or with our wife and kids or with our, you know, small home fellowship, whatever it is, when we take this feast, this one that he's instituting right here, it's to remember that he was going to be beaten, he's telling them, and brutalized. His body was going to be broken. His blood, which is his life, was going to be shed, it was going to be poured out for mankind for the remission of sins. For you and I, listen, if you're not a believer tonight, how wonderful that sounds. Sin is just mean you missed a mark. You're not perfect. <laughs> if you think you are, you're a sinner, see? You lied to yourself. <laughs> but the need for forgiveness, and he's, he's giving them this final picture. What it is to wash people who aren't going to walk with you always or is one thing, but to pour out your life completely even for people who would reject you. That's the ultimate picture of service. That's the faithfulness of God. And so he institutes this supper here. And we'll close tonight in the scene. Then it turns back, if you look in John's Gospel, you don't have to, but back into John chapter 13, verses 33 through 35. Judas already leaves at this point. He, it's in his heart. The devil already convinced him to, to betray Christ. He's on his way out of the upper room to the Pharisees to collect his silver, to figure out a convenient time, the scripture says. Um, and it says it was night when he went out. 
But then it closes out with this. In verse 33, Jesus says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So he institutes the new covenant, and then he gives this final new command. And the commandment is you... Notice what he says. It's very important days we live in the church world. Love one another as I have loved you. He doesn't say love one another in your own interpretation of what love looks like, and then we'll say that that's what God's love is. He says, I need you to love one another as I have loved you. Sometimes for them, that looked like them getting rebuked and disciplined and corrected. Sometimes for them, that looked like some people being being separated and cast out from the group. That looked like a lot of different things. The grace of God ultimately would be poured out on this whole gang as they would go bear testimony in the world. But he says, this new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It was thorough. It was complete. It was full of, of mercy and grace and patience and temperance and self-control. It was full of being able to see the person for who they will be, not just judging them for where they are. And he then says, by that, when people see the love that we have for one another as believers in the world today, right now, or is the church judging and fighting and wrangling with each other? Or are we locked arms, hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder, bearing the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a hopeless world right now? He's saying that love, that kind of fellowship between you will be the testimony to that lost world. All people are going to know that you're my disciples because of that measure of love. Your differences, your disagreements, all of those kind of things that can take place in human relationship. If my love in you and my love in your friends supersedes all of those things, the world is going to say, that looks different. That smells different. And that's because of that picture that he gave us of the foot washing. You don't naturally defer in some loving, compassionate way. You become a servant of all. Because he was a servant of all. For you and I tonight with this Last Supper picture, what does that look like for us? One place, and you don't have to turn there, but in Luke's Gospel in chapter 3, John was preaching in the wilderness. And he lays out this whole picture. And the people, when John is preaching, they're, they're just pricked in their heart. They don't know what to do. They actually say to him, what shall we do then? And John answers and says, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, again, let him do likewise. You got a lot? I was thinking as I was reading this earlier, I'm saying, if you got 100 rolls of Charmin toilet paper, give me 20. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that's the picture there. He's saying, if you got two tunics and somebody has none, give them one. If you have a lot of food and somebody has none, give them some. Even the tax collectors came and they said to him, what shall we do? He said, collect no more than what is appointed for you. The soldiers came and asked him and said, what shall we do? He said, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Again, the picture there, in regards to your life, let it be a testimony of service. If you have, 
be a blessing to those who don't. Don't hoard for yourself and keep for yourself. Listen, I heard somebody say one time, I've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. You're not taking anything with you. The family of God as a believer, this Last Supper night, Thursday night here, Calvary Fellowship of South Philly, let it be a testimony to the world. It says Jesus in John 13, where we just started reading, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He didn't love them just when they figured the things out that he was saying or understood the parables or were obedient to them. He loved them even when they were trying to call fire down from heaven because the people wouldn't listen. He loved them in all of their mistakes. He loved them in all of their beauty. He loved them through all of it. If you have, be a testimony. Have in order to give, not to have. If you're in a position of authority financially, don't withhold what is good. Be a blessing. Be that guy washing the feet. If you're in a position of power, soldier, whatever, government, don't use it as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to manipulate and, and intimidate and empower. Be a blessing. Stand up for the defenseless and the weak. Jesus himself would say, as we close, in Mark chapter 10, this is after James and John are arguing about who's going to sit on the left hand and the right. Then the other disciples find out and they're all upset. It says, and when the ten heard this, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, notice, shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Notice, he says the reason is, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So as we go through this Holy Week, you know, last study we looked at the faithlessness and the faithfulness of man, the different places. Tonight we're taking a look at the... You know, again, the, 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 the perfect service of God or, or what the servant of all looks like. And next week we're going to look at, and Sunday we're going to take a look at the faithfulness of God. So challenge for you and I, what a great time. Spouse, children, neighbors, neighborhood, to be a servant. To really take that position and that picture of Jesus Christ literally. Not just a figurative idea in how we're supposed to behave and what our speech is supposed to sound like. You know, my pastor said one time, and I never forgot, he said, more is caught than taught. You're going to be a living testimony or not. He also said one time, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that will look like in the, in the manner of service. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, that you've given us example after example of what we should look like, what our lives should look like, uh, even if we blow it, Lord, for real. You, you don't stand there wagging a stick at us, Lord. You, uh, Lord, encourage us to get up and keep pressing on, Lord, uh, 
till we cross the Jordan, as it were, Lord, till we get to that final resting place with you. So, Lord, I lift everybody up tonight, Father. I pray, uh, Lord, that you would you would just allow your word um, to convict and to challenge God, to encourage, Lord. Some people tonight might be sitting there saying yes and amen, because that's where you have them right now, Lord. Um, but, Father, all in all, I pray that your word would produce fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.